Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Podcast. Um, my guest today is Wes Cow, and she's a translator of sorts. She uh, helps tech founders and startups uh, translate the technical, uh, some would say gobbledygook that they do uh, into real language and concepts that people can understand. So that uh, even though they may have these great technologies, if they can't communicate what they do well and market it and sell their product or their service, uh, they're not really going to get anywhere. So Wes steps in, and she's like a marketing consultant that. Uh, it helps advise these kind of people, and I, I hope I've gotten that right, Wes. Is that uh, an accurate description of what you do? Yes, totally. Okay, great. And you know, Wes <laughs> has her own uh, consultancy firm now, so Wes, thanks for coming on the podcast. I appreciate you being here. It's great to be here. Yeah. Well, tell me a little bit about um, you know, background, your history, and what got you to this point uh, to be a consultant. Sure. I spent over 10 years doing marketing and product management in-house working at a bunch of Fortune 500 companies like Gap, L'Oreal, Bear Centrals, and at smaller startups too. Um, Flight, where I was head of digital marketing and content, uh, which was acquired by Snapchat. And then most recently, I was the founding executive director of Seth Godin's Alt-MBA School. So I worked closely with Seth, who's a best-selling author, for the past three years, building up his school from just an idea on a whiteboard into a global institution in 500 some cities, 45 countries, thousands of alumni around the world. And as of earlier this year, I left to launch my own consultancy. And now I focus on working with technical leaders, whether they're engineers, um, scientists, technologists, to help them better market and sell their innovations. Um, and the, the crux of that is the idea that the best product and the best technology doesn't always win. And you can't just rely on technological differentiation anymore if you really want to stand out. You have to go that extra step to explain why your idea matters and really tell your story in a way that inspires people to take action. Yeah, that's great. I didn't realize that uh, that was your role with Seth Godin. I mean, that makes you like the, uh, the Arnold Schwarzenegger of, of marketing with these big marketing muscles. That's really great. Oh, my gosh. I love that analogy. Oh, all right. Um, So tell me about, you know, your thesis statement is, yeah, the the technical details of products aren't what really excite people or maybe get them to use them or adopt them. So, you know, can you give an example of, um, you know, like a great innovation that, you know, should be useful or helpful to people, but it fell flat because it just was uh, talked about in a really boring technical way versus a story way? Yeah, definitely. I mean, when we think about every industry, if you ask experts in any industry, there's going to be examples that pop out where um, those who are familiar with, with the nuances of the space thought that, hey, we thought this was an amazing innovation, but for some reason, it just didn't take off. And so many of the clients I work with have a really common complaint, which is there's some competitor that isn't doing anything particularly innovative. Their product is pretty surface level 
and yet they're getting a ton of media attention. They're, t- they're getting a ton of funding. Um, people are talking about how exciting their technology is and how different it is. And meanwhile, the insiders are, are scratching their heads thinking, this, we've had this for years, um, and this mm. is really nothing new. So this is a really common complaint that I hear. And, and um, you know, I think there's a really important shift that technologists need to make, which is realizing and acknowledging that you, as a, as a founder or technical leader, um, need to take personal responsibility for whether or not people understand why your idea matters and really translating why it matters. And the people who do that really reap the rewards. And we can gripe about it all day and complain about it, but unless we do something, um, you're just going to be you know, working hard on your product and then hearing crickets and tumbleweed um, once you launch. So how do you um, work with entrepreneurs? Do you like lay them down on a couch and you know, ask them questions and kind of boil down what they're telling you into plain English and marketing speak? Or you know, what's the process? Or do you just say, let me handle it and you look at their product or their service and you're the one that comes up with how to re-spin it so it's uh, compelling? I have a do-it-with-you approach. So if you think of a spectrum where on the one side it's do-it-yourself and on the other side of the spectrum it's do-it-for-you, do-it-with-you is really in the middle and it's training technical leaders to think differently about their role and to have a different mindset about what they should put their bandwidth towards. So a lot of it is one-on-one coaching, it's training workshops, it's consulting work, but essentially it's behavior change. It's how do I get this technical leader who's currently hyperlogical um, and got to where she or he is by being hyperlogical um, to relax on that a little bit and um, shift their frame of mind um, into thinking about how do I how do I apply that same rigor and systematic thinking to um, appealing to my audience? Um, so a lot of our work is is helping. Um, leaders who are currently um, very hung up on science and facts and technology to shift away from that. Um, And it's it's really interesting because um, a lot of them, as I said, got to where they are because they're rational, they're logical, they're skeptical people, they're critical thinkers, they're grounded in reality, the truth matters. I mean, all of these things are are great, um, but unfortunately, you know, if facts were enough, we wouldn't have climate change deniers. We wouldn't have anti-vaxxers. Um, and, and a lot of things in the world would probably be more sane than they are. So mm. it's, it's acknowledging that, okay, facts, facts are the basis of my work, but the next step to get to the next level um, is really about thinking about stories and consumer behavior and worldviews and connecting the dots so that um, so that audiences and customers and investors can be inspired by your technology enough to fund it, to use it, to buy it, etc. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I guess I'll give an example I heard about, like the uh, you know the George Foreman Grill. I guess originally it was like this taco maker, and uh, it wasn't selling well. And you know, this guy Rick Cesari runs a marketing agency, and he he got George Foreman, and they you know it's the same product, but they said oh the fat drips away, and they demoed it, and they put George Foreman's name on it and everything. And, you know, they got the grill to sell like, you know, a hundred million dollars worth when it was just this like plain old nothing, you know, product before that. 
or the uh, you know the Amish space heater. I remember on TV it was just like a space heater, but they said oh the Amish made the cabinet around it and they had this whole story and it sold millions of those or the Snuggie. It's just a blanket that you wear, you know. So I guess those are like maybe uh, crude examples of what what good marketing can do to really boring products. Probably not yeah, as good as the stuff you work with, but those are some examples <laughs> I know of. You know? Those are those are great examples. I started my career in consumer packaged goods and retail and apparel. So, you know, I'd mentioned the Gap headquarters earlier. So jeans and socks. I mean, there's not much technical differentiation within the apparel category. Um, Same with beauty. But these categories are entirely driven by marketing, by stories, by appealing to the person that people wish they could be. And there's a lot that more technical areas and technical fields can learn from these categories. And, you know, if you're working with jeans and socks, you don't have much to work with in terms of saying, okay, our product features are, are that different. But, you know, if you're working in robotics or AI or VR or digital medicine, there's, there's almost too much technical differentiation. And, and you have the opposite problem, which is that your product actually has some interesting technology that is leaps and bounds better than what's existing now. Um, And you tend to fall in love with that. And it makes sense because you understand the field like the back of your hand and you see why the innovation that you're working on is so groundbreaking. And it becomes very frustrating when the rest of the world, when your audience doesn't feel that same sense of enthusiasm. And it's easy to get into this cycle of frustration when that's the case, um, which is why it's so important to then pull back and say, okay, I acknowledge that we have this amazing technical differentiation, but we also need to think about why would someone want to use this? Why would they feel good using this? Um, What does this say about their identity? And a good example that comes to mind about a product that failed to do this is the Segway. I had one of those years ago. They were cool. Oh, you did? Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, I I think actually 13 years ago or something, but now they, they just seem like nerd Nerd vehicles, I don't know. They don't seem really cool at all. Exactly. Yes. And they're the domain of mall cops and tourists, you know, yep. taking tours within a city on segways. And, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars were, were invested into that product. And, you know, by all by all means, it was an amazing innovation by, by a very renowned inventor. But hmm. because people didn't feel cool using it and they felt lame, it fell to the wayside and, you know, people don't want to do things where they feel lame doing it. It's kind of like, you know, it's it's kind of like smoking, like, like did people stop smoking because all of a sudden they realized that it was bad for them? Well, not really because the surgeon general has been warning us for decades that, you know, smoking causes cancer, didn't really change anything. But once the culture changes and you realize that it's not cool anymore or within your immediate circle, you know, a couple of your friends say, oh, ew, you smoke? Or you're still right. smoking? Are you kidding me? Right? It only takes yeah. a little bit of shame like that for people to think, oh my gosh, wow, I should really stop smoking. So it's not so much mm-hmm. the facts that, that change behavior. It's, it's all the other stuff. It's the people around us. It's the stories that we tell each other, the stories that we tell ourselves about, hey, am I the kind of person who smokes? because the other people in my community don't seem to smoke anymore. And maybe it's time that, um, that I let go of this habit. So you, know, you said you try to uh, 
work with very technical people, founders, et cetera. I, I can't see that all of them would come over to your side of the, of, you know, thinking and say, you're right. And I mean, even be able to change. Some people are just fundamentally like tech nerds and they're stuck like that. So what do you do if you're dealing with a founder and they're like, Hey, I hear you, but I'm just a technical person. And that's just not me. I can't do that stuff. Do you do it for them? Or do you say, Hey, you need someone on your team that I can coach to get this message out while you're, you know, back in the lab working on the technical stuff. I love this question. Have you heard of the Rogers adoption curve, the bell curve with early adopters, innovators, early adopters, early majority, late majority, laggards? I'm sure mm-hmm. you've seen yeah. that. Perfect. So yep. if we imagine that curve, um, the people on the far right, the laggards, are the ones that you were just describing with the technical founders that are really um, they're digging their heels in. They think, no, like I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to just, I'm going to stick with the technical stuff. This is baloney. This isn't going to, you know, marketing is not going to change anything. Um, and then on the far left are the innovators and early adopters who are technical leaders who have started to see the light and are um, starting to think, Hey, maybe I do need to think about the way that I describe my technology because Sometimes people get really excited about it when I talk about it, and other times I get blank stares. And maybe the way that I talk about it can change people's reactions. So there's a whole spectrum of, of technical leaders who are either ready to embrace using, mar- using marketing as a lever or skeptical and resistant to it. And I don't even try to work with people who are skeptical because there's enough people who um, are eager and want to learn how to improve their marketing that, you know, that keeps me busy enough. So that's, that's one point. Um, and then the Good. second is if we think about a bullseye, so there's, you know, there's concentric circles and I call it the concentric circles of customers. So I teach this to my clients, but even if I look at my own clients, we can use the concentric circles. So a good way to describe the concentric circles is thinking about Facebook. So Facebook initially started with Harvard only. So that was the middle of their bullseye, Harvard students. Okay, super exclusive. And then the next rung were Ivy Leagues. Okay, now it's brought into several schools, uh, also still very elite. And then it's colleges. That's the next rung. And then it's high schools. And then it's your mom and your grandma and your grandpa now all have Facebook. So if they had started trying to target your 14-year-old niece and your grandma with the same messaging, with the same marketing, with the same product, they would have fell flat. They would have fallen flat. Mm. Um, but because they started in a really hyper-focused way and swarmed and really owned that market, they were able to then expand outer, outer, outer into the outer rungs. So I think about that a lot when I talk to my clients and when I think about the clients I work with myself, because in the middle, you have technical founders and leaders who um, – are eager and ready to embrace looking at marketing as lever. And on the far outer rungs, you have those laggards. And what I always teach my clients is you don't need to target the entire bullseye, all those concentric circles. You really just need to focus on your core and the immediate next rung around it. Because if you can convince your core, they'll help spread the message to the next rung, which will help spread the message to the next rung, and eventually, the people on the far outer rungs, the, the super skeptical people, you know, they're going to come around eventually. And it won't be because you talked until you were blue in the face. 
it's going to be because the rung immediately, immediately before them told them about this and said, hey, you need to check this out. This works. And it's probably going to be another technical leader telling them. Uh, and it's going to come from a place that's a lot more, um, more trustworthy because that person's going to think, wow, you know, if my friend who's just like me running a technical company right. um, cares about this, then there might be something to this. Well, all right. So can you tell me an example? Uh, you know, I don't know if you can say specifically, but someone you worked with and their product, you know, was like deadly boring or not going anywhere and you gave it a makeover and now it's doing well. You know, what did it look like before? What was it called before? What's it called now? Mm-hmm. Are you able to do that? Or is that proprietary? It's proprietary, but I can give some general um, general examples. So first, it doesn't happen in one step and it's usually not um, it's usually not a very glamorous, all of a sudden we turn from X into Y. It's a bunch of little things that when combined make the team and and the technical leader a lot more comfortable talking about their product in a way that resonates. So sometimes we'll work on the slide deck. Sometimes we'll work on the messaging on the website. Sometimes we'll work on um, what a verbal pitch looks like when you're when you have you know five minutes to explain to somebody what you do, or if you have one minute to explain to somebody, or if you need to explain your idea to a layman audience versus a really technical audience, what are mm. things that you would do differently? How would you simplify the language, for example, or how would you give different analogies that help people better understand what it is that your product does? So a lot of it, a lot of it is small changes that add up to give leaders more clarity. The concentric circles is a great example. I've, a, I've had a lot of clients say that that helps their team rally around understanding who is our core customer and how should we tailor the language across all of our marketing campaigns, all of our business development, all of our sales conversations, all of our recruiting and hiring. When we describe what's our mission, what is this grand problem that we're solving, why is this exciting? Why, why, why are we a rocket ship that you um, would want to get on? Um, so that even even a framework like the concentric circles can really help people simplify a lot of the complicated um, marketing jargon and language that um, sometimes can get too too hairy um, and just go back to basics and get people on the same page because ultimately. If your team is on the same page, if your executive team, your, uh, your developers, your salespeople, your marketers are all aware of how to talk about what you do, it ultimately makes your company a lot stronger. Yeah, it makes sense. So, all right, so you'd help a, a company develop not only multiple formats of the same story for different audiences, you know, different levels of sophistication. Uh, maybe they're like the closest inner circle or they're one circle out. So it sounds like you're, they're making a multitude of, uh, of ways to showcase their product depending on all these factors. Exactly. And we'll look at things right. like social proof, for example. That's a huge area that, especially if you're doing something new that is disrupting a category or challenging the existing players in the market, a lot of times your buyers, your customers, don't know how to contextualize what you do yet. And the challenge is that they were fine before you arrived, before you sent them you know, a sales email um, or went knocking on their doors, and they'll probably be fine without you 
So the question is, why now? Why now for for taking action, for purchasing from you, for getting for going to the next step? And social proof is a really powerful and and underutilized tool or framework or tactic that um, a lot of technical leaders can add and implement into their current marketing. So example, so what is, you know, what does social proof really look like? Um, well, testimonials, that's a great example. So testimonials basically say, you know, other people like me who look like me with similar titles who work at similar companies have tried this and they liked it. Um, another example, uh, investors, okay, VCs were willing to push, were willing to put their cash money um, into this company. So that's also social proof. If I'm looking at your technology or your innovation and deciding, you know, is this, is this worth engaging with or not? Press, another great example. Okay, a famous magazine thought that this company was legit enough to write about. That also makes your idea feel safer. Um, a wait list of some kind, right? Or even seeing a long line. If we kind of move into the, the physical world, IRL a little bit. You know, when we walk by a restaurant and we see that it's empty versus a restaurant where there's a line out the door, that's social proof too. And all of these things feel very irrational because they have nothing to do with, with legitimately, okay, if we were to rationally and objectively review your product, is this good or bad? All of these things feel outside of that realm, but help people make a decision as, uh, as to whether um, your idea, which is new at the moment, is new and scary and risky and it's probably going to be a waste of my money, or if it's new and exciting and something that I want to try. Okay. Well, very good. Um, so what's the best way or who would be a good fit for you for the consulting and who wouldn't be? I mean, you already said someone that's closed-minded and thinks, you know, technical details are the way to sway people. Obviously, you know, they wouldn't be a good fit, but who would? You know, what size company, what industry, you know, what do you, what's, who's, your, who's your ideal client? I would say open-minded technical leaders who um, understand that in order to get to the next level, they need to level up their marketing and their messaging and have a really strong story that they can present to investors, to customers, to um, the press, and um, are ready to invest in creating what that unified message really looks like. And it doesn't really matter you know, what industry you're in, because I've worked with technical leaders in, in all kinds of industries. It's really mm -hmm. that understanding that marketing is a lever that can help your company grow and help your uh, innovation and technology see the light of day and get the recognition that it deserves. Okay, very good. And Wes, what's the best way to uh, to contact you? I don't know if people fill out a form or an application or, you know, how do they get in touch with you to uh, to evaluate whether they should get consulting or not? You can check out my website at westko.com. And my email address is there. My Twitter is there. I write a blog twice a week. So you can subscribe to that for tips and advice uh, on how to better tell your story. Um, and I look forward to hearing from any technical leaders out there who um, are, are looking to level up. Well, that's great. Wes, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. You've been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.